many memories have come flooding back. I put this song on repeat, just crying my eyes out. It made me feel so bloody alive. This song really nails the feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stopped talking and just stared at the radio. Like, what is that? It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it. I love that song so much. of the box. Meet people through their music with Ash Bertabez on FBI. Big thanks to Alex Pye and her indomitable producer Serge Negus for taking you through the mornings and as always you can check out the songs that they've played throughout the hour but this time it's different. You can check out the songs they've played on our fancy new FBI radio website. It's looking really swish. You should go there and check it out and as always they've listed the songs they've played throughout the hour so you can catch up on what you thought sounded a bit good. So now it's that time of the day on your Thursday where we have you know FBI radio's version of This Is Your Life where you basically get someone to dredge up their past for you live on radio <laughs> And if anyone is good at dredging up their past, it's Kara Schlegel because at the moment in the works for Kara is a podcast called If I Loved You. In it, she interviews her ex-boyfriends. Welcome and out of the box, Kara. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Nice introduction. It's very accurate. My whole life is just dredging up the past. So, <laughs> Oh, you're so much more than that. I mean, you're, you're a comedy writer and producer, but I feel like our pasts are so full of comedy. I think when you get enough distance, there's a, there's a, a, a safe look, looking distance into your past relationships now, I'm hoping. Yeah, well... I mean, one of the interviews I conducted was with somebody I dated like this year. Um, And (laughs) wow. And like, I mean, one, I just told a story on stage very recently about an encounter I had about a few weeks ago. So I, you know, I don't allow, often allow that space. It's too fresh. Fresh wounds too soon. I torture myself. These poor guys as well. I mean, you know, it sounds like the best idea for a podcast on one hand and also the worst idea for a podcast on another hand because you actually have to go there. How many how many ex boyfriends do you have? I mean, you know, it has to well, determine the length of the season. <laughs> I'm assuming. Um, well, I'm interviewing six main people, six people that I've kind of picked that are, you know, quite special to me. That I had a big connection to or affected me in a really strong way. Um, but like one of them said no, which was a, a strange experience for me. So now I'm kind of. Like I'm, I'm halfway through making the making the season, and I'm kind of at a point where I have to figure out what to do about that. Like not being able to interview a certain person who um, is kind of very important to the chronology of the story. Totally, and I think also you need to, you know, give right of reply. You can't actually talk about the relationship so much without them being there because. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially when you take relationships from the past, the way you both see them and why they ended or how they went or how you both felt felt during that is completely different. Well, that's the whole point of this this podcast is it's about, um, you know, finding the other side of the story. Like it's kind of an investigative report about love and about um, how it felt for other people experiencing it and how it feels for other people. I mean, I'm interviewing not just my exes, but I'm interviewing a whole bunch of people and at different stages in relationships, um, one person I'm interviewing right after he just had a horrible breakup and I just want to know like how how does it how does it feel for you to be in love and I that's what I'm asking all of my exes how did it feel like why did you think you were in love with me um or why were you no longer in love with me (laughs) I mean I'm assuming that you learn a lot about yourself through doing this through interviewing people from your past oh yeah what kind of things have you learnt about Cara Schlegel? <laughs> oh, well, um, the first interview I did was with probably the person that I consider the love of my life. And he he actually said to me something that I'd never considered before, that I was extremely, like, hyper-focused. Um, so when I was focused on him, 
it was great. But when I was focused on, you know, I was doing my honours thesis at the time, I was focused on my thesis, I just ignored everybody else and everything else around me. And he said it was my worst quality, which, you know, for worst qualities, that's that's not so and bad. It's, it's a very employable worst <laughs> yes, quality. <yeah. laughs> unless, you're, unless your job is multitasking, then... <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, like, I would like some of your hyper-focused uh, curse. Yeah. So now you've got five interviews that you've done then does that, yes. does that make it yes who was the person oh no naming names and i find another way of saying this um what well, i have release forms so i can <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay good so um who what was the relationship that you were most um okay with seeing the end of and why uh this guy um this guy called logan uh who was seven years younger than me I started, I dated him when he was 18. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Um, and, um, and, and I feel like that's particularly not common among, um, you know, women in their 20s to date younger men because, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, young, younger no, men are, it's, seem much younger than younger women. You yes, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy, well, this guy yeah. was like an absolute genius, like hyper smart, um... And very arrogant. Um, he'd love that I said that, so it's fine. Um, and yeah, like we we just had the most tumultuous um, kind of relationship affair. We didn't even tell anybody about it. We just went for months, like behind people's backs. Was it because um, of the age thing? Did you feel like it was a bit naughty? Uh, yeah, I actually I was very embarrassed. <laughs> I was very very embarrassed. He wasn't, but I, I oh, was. That would have been a badge of honor. Yeah. <laughs> And I also was just very insecure about myself at the time and very, like, I, I didn't I, I didn't understand why he would want to be with me. Um, and then, uh, well, he, he uh, dumped me and I went absolutely crazy. I went the craziest I've ever been in my entire life. I went to, at a friend's house, I, like, screamed at him on, on his front lawn, like, at, like, 3 a.m. Like, it was, it was bad I've never seen myself like that before I don't even recognize myself now um, when I look back but so it was terrible for my mental health and I was very glad the moment I realized that I was over him and that it was done um, when did when did you realize did you kind of can you bring it back yeah. to a certain point where you're like I think I'm okay now um, I think it was like into my next like well into my next relationship when um, I realized I was in love with this guy that I was with. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what real love feels like, I guess. <laughs> like before I was just obsessed. Like it was just, yeah, you know, All right. that thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's time to take our first song for the show and it's by someone called or some group called Japanese Wallpaper, who I don't know about. Tell us about Japanese Wallpaper. Um, oh, geez, what do I know about Japanese Wallpaper? Um, they're new. Um, he, I think it's just one guy, um, but uh, he, I saw him play at Splendor and I heard him on the radio a bunch of times and my friend um, Anatole... I think that's how you pronounce his his name. Uh, he um, he did a remix of this song, um, which I just absolutely fell in love with. But then I listened to the original and I became obsessed with it because um, I had a relationship very similar to what's happening in the song where this guy kept trying to have sex with me um, and kept, even though he didn't want to be with me, um, and then, like, kept saying, oh, no, I want to be friends with you, but I also want to... Can I swear? <laughs> I don't know. Um, language warning. <laughs> Three, two, one. But I also want to fuck you. <laughs> okay, so... just, just enough time for mums to get to the, the dial, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so uh, that's what this song really is about. It's about someone saying, please stop trying to, like trying to get with me because it's screwing me up inside um i i want to be friends with you but like i can't be your lover and your friend at the same time it's hard because you kind of want that connection too yeah. so it's kind of you can't exactly. reject all of that yeah noise yeah exactly oh dark stuff on out of the box fbi 94.5 parish <laughs> legal is my guest today and here you go it's japanese wallpaper
Australian guy called Japanese Wallpaper on your radio, FBI 94.5 is a station you're tuned into just in time, or, you know, just a little bit late, for Out of the Box, depending on when you tuned in, with Kara Schlegel, <laughs> my guest today. And, uh, yeah, like we said, that was uh, Japanese Wallpaper, which is a gorgeous name for a band. And you, you do, you're a comedy producer and a comedy writer, but I wanted to actually ask you, how did you start writing comedy? Um, I, okay, so... I met somebody last year um, called James Colley. He's a satirist. Um, He's one of my closest friends now. Uh, We met on Irrational Fear. And uh, I was at a really low point in my life. I was heartbroken, wretched and alone, you know. Um, Everything was going wrong. And he actually just told, told me, like, he asked me what I wanted to do with my life, like, because at that point I was doing a PhD and I hated it. I hated everything about it. Um, and he he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to write. Like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's what I've always wanted to do. And I've never had the balls to get up and do it. And he said, then write. 
he was just like, do it. Just don't even think about it. Just write. I'll give you some contacts. I'll, I'll help you. And I'd never had anybody do that for me before. <clears throat> I'd never had anybody like believe in me so much or like think I was good enough to be able to actually go out and put my, put my work out there. What a bloke, James yeah, Cooley. Yeah, also yeah. writer for the Backburner. So, <laughs> what was what was the first um, kind of thing that you that you wrote about, and uh, and actually, you know, released that to the world? Oh, geez, I wrote a story. Um, oh, I can't remember. I wrote a story. <laughs> I wrote I wrote a story about my childhood about learning what an orgasm was, and it was like a just a sad little short story that I read at Fabulous Monster, um, which is a story night they have in Sydney at um, Mr. Falcon's. Um, and and could I ask how you did find out what an orgasm was? <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw a, um, an episode of Absolutely Fabulous. The idea was that I didn't know and I went to school and I um, uh, thought I thought I I claimed that it was something like something else like I thought that it was something that a woman achieved <laughs> like like you achieve an award or something. And, like, well, that's the way we talk about it. Yeah, I reckon. it's kind of like yeah. I didn't understand. I didn't understand, and I was like, I'm going to achieve an orgasm one day. <laughs> Wait, is that what you said to yeah. yourself or to everyone I else? To, I said to my I said to my classmates. <laughs> <laughs> Just like fully serious in the yeah. face, and I so I'm going to yeah. achieve an orgasm one day. And, what did they um, say? Oh, uh, they 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 were kids as well. They didn't quite understand, <laughs> but they also knew that orgasm was a naughty thing, and I didn't understand that yet. And um, so anyway, I I ended up writing a kind of more fictionalized version of that. It was sort of skirting on real life, and I read it out, and people laughed, and I was hooked. Yeah. That's awesome. And you did something recently for the uh, Fringe Comedy Festival. Yeah. Festival. The, yeah. I um, I was at the Sydney Fringe. I did a show called Cara Makes You a Sandwich. Which is a great premise for any show. <laughs> and do you think that it actually helped, helped you sell tickets, the, the sandwich aspect? Um, I think so. I Like, I mean, the final night sold out, which was cool. But it's hard to tell because it's such a small room. Like, it was only a 50-person audience. So it's, I don't don't know, it might have just all been my friends. I couldn't see the lights were too bright. (laughs) But I think that people were very curious about the sandwich thing and people seemed to like the sandwiches. So that was good. It was logistically a disaster. I should not have done it. What was on the sandwiches? Um, I, I like, went all out. Like, I had, like, um, a, a... a teriyaki chicken kind of thing and I had like a ham ham and cheese and mustard and uh so the first night I did like all these kind of elaborate really gorgeous sandwiches and the second night I did uh like Vegemite (laughs) (laughs) what changed oh like I was just so tired I was so exhausted I couldn't make them like I was just I was just done I was like I never want to make a sandwich ever again in my entire life like this is this is over oh no and so how was the sandwich a vehicle for comedy or did it have absolutely nothing to do with the show um it was sort of an ironic kind of thing where like I was I was the show was going to be about feminism and I was going to make the audience sandwiches and it was sort of like that inherent joke um of me being quite servile while lecturing them about feminist stuff um but then the show kind of slowly transformed over time into just a show about me and about my life and about my relationships with men uh, growing up and that transformation made the sh- made the sandwiches a little bit redundant <laughs> but I had promised sandwiches so I still had to do it <laughs> it was sort of like all right well I can fit this in somehow I don't know how but uh yeah so this is this is why why you just don't name your show until the day before yeah you know yeah. what it is well this is why pe- actually comedians like they t- told me like they warned me they were like don't like give your give your show a very generic title because then you can adapt it into anything you want. Yeah. So my next my next Sydney comedy festival show is called That Kind of Girl because I'm it's like a play on the Lena Dunham not that kind of girl because mm. I am definitely that kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, let's take the track that we had uh, lined up next, which is by Drake.
Yeah, I'm so, so sorry, listeners. <laughs> that's why. Why are you apologising? I don't know. Big I feel fan. like I feel like he's been overplayed recently. I don't know. This is his track with um, Nicki Minaj. Mm. So proud of you. And why did you want to bring this particular track on today? Um, it's dedicated to James because he dedicated it to me a year ago. And you'll listen to the lyrics, and you'll be. It's like an empowerment song. That's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this done. You, sh- I should be so proud of myself, like for for what I've achieved so far and what I'm going to do. So it's yeah. I like a woman with a future and a past. A little attitude, problem all good. It'll make the shit last. Don't make it too easy, girl, don't take it too fast Yeah, that's it right there, that's it, do it just like that Only you could do it just like that And I love it when your hair's still wet Cause you just took a shower Running on a treadmill and on the inside Sounds so smart like you graduated college Like you went to Yale, but you probably went to Howard knowing you Weekend in Miami trying to study by the pool Couple things do, but you always get it done Might have been a time where I loved her too But you take that away and you always been the one One, I wonder why the moon looks nice, girl Maybe it's just right for the night you see niggas coming on too strong, girl. They want you in their life as a wife. That's why you want to have no sex. Why you want to protest? Why you want to fight for your right? Because you don't love them boys. Pussy run, they think fuck that noise. I know things get hard, but girl, you got it. Girl, you got it. There you go. Can't you tell by how they looking at you everywhere you go? Wondering what's on your mind. It must be hard to be that fine when all these motherfuckers want to waste your time. It's just amazing, girl. And all I can say is I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. Everything's adding up, you've been through hell and back, that's why you're bad as fuck, and you. All of them bitches, I'm better than. Mansions in Malibu, Babylon. But I never mention everything I dabble in. And I always buy slow when I'm straddling. And my shit's so wet, you gotta paddle in. Gotta rock, rock, roll, gotta roll your boat. It's Pink Friday, rock all time to OVO. Then this the pop tow on the real steel. The best legal team, so the deals is ill. That's Mac OPI in the fragrance, too. Apparel, I'm dominating every avenue. Cobblestone, good view, little gravel, too. Gotta pay for the underage travel, too. Cause I flip, flip, fly, I'm flying high. Ain't got time to talk, just high and vibing. Things get hard, but girl, you got it, girl, you got it, there you go. Can't you tell by how they looking at you everywhere you go? Wondering what's on your mind, it must be hard to be that fine when all these motherfuckers want to waste your time. It's just amazing, girl, and all I can say is I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you Everything's adding up, you've been through hell and back That's why you're bad as fuck and you know you are I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so proud of you Everything's adding up, you've been through hell and back That's why you're bad as fuck and you know you are Out of the box Meet people through their music On FBI Find to jump the gun 
Did you notice the relationship between those last two tracks? You just heard Drake back to back with Nick Drake. Yeah. <laughs> Courtesy of Karish Legal, and I don't think that was something you were planning from the get go, was it? Uh, no, no, but I thought that, I thought for a moment you might play Nick Drake <laughs> instead of Drake accidentally, which would have been quite hilarious. Yeah, I feel like it's it's actually inspired me to try and make a mashup. I have no musical skills whatsoever, but I feel like if you mashed up, so proud of you yeah. with that particular song Day by Nick Drake. Yeah. <laughs> just, just the be... most miserable song he's written. Yeah. <laughs> the day is done and I'm so proud of you. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the name of the mashup. So why did you want to bring on a song by Nick Drake? Um two reasons. One, my dad. Um my dad was really like one of the first influences for me on music. He had his own record collection. He was really into the 60s and like super into like the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And then he just had this random vinyl record, um, Five Leaves Left, Nick Drake in his stack. And um, I, I pulled it out and just put it on just randomly when I was probably like Eight years old. I was fascinated with his... really. You could you could operate a record player. When I was you were fascinated. <laughs> I dad wouldn't. Dad hated hated when I touched his records, but I would sneak into his room and do it anyway. Um, and like so, I I grew up like like during that period listening to a lot of Nick Drake. Strangely, um, because I was also like listening to like Spice Girls and <laughs> um, deliberately or on accident. Um, deliberately, I was, I, like Spice World was a great album. My formative years, um, but yeah. So I was I was listening to Nick Drake a lot, and then uh, you know I stopped. Like I stopped. You know when you go through that period when you're in your early teens and you're like I don't I don't want anything to do with what my parents are into. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not cool. And then I met this boy called Billy, who I. Oh, I fell in. He used to wear Jim Morrison t-shirts, and he had like those cut off, cut off pants, like things, whatever you call them. You know the ones that Shorts? went right past. <laughs> no, no, the ones that went like past your knees. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, three quarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, those are a thing. Yeah. Oh my god, take me yeah. back. Were they corduroy three quarters? Because that's no, that's really enough. No, they were like grey cargo. Oh. Um, so he, he was had, a cool dude. Yeah, he had a shaved head and he smoked cigarettes and he was just so sexy. Um, <laughs> and I was so into him and I added him on like MSN and we talked and I asked him what he was into and he was like Nick Drake and I was like I know who that is and and I was like oh yeah I have heaps of his records <laughs> just, just the one just, just the, the one, one that's actually Not my actually dad's <laughs> and so I started oh, listening to him again and I got into him all over again and I just 
It's just such a, a beautiful song. A beautiful are you, song. Are you remembering that particular Amazon conversation because it was so pivotal? Or did you actually save it? Because I spent the weekend going through my storage and I found MSN conversations that I actually saved. <laughs> mostly because they were incredibly traumatizing. And I was like, well, if this person ever wrongs me, I've got, I think, I think, <laughs> I've got this thing that they did on, on MSN. <laughs> I think I have like an archive of MSN conversations oh, no. on my old computer. But... No, I didn't. I, I don't think I ever read over it again. I think I just, it really was like, it, he was the first guy I was ever like, whoa. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I, I just, I'd never like had that big, big crush before. And then I met this guy and I crushed on him for 10 years, like from year eight until I was in my early 20s. I just, wow. he was such an important part of my life. <laughs> Have you interviewed him for the podcast that you're coming yes. up with? Yeah. If I loved you, and that's coming out in December, right? Yes. So yes. people can start. Christmas. Yeah. And um, how will people be able to find it when it happens? Um, it'll be on iTunes. Uh, yeah, it'll be on iTunes. Uh, just search If I Loved You, or you can go to my website, caronation.com. And with Billy, who you were talking to on MSN um, and loving for many, many years, did he know that you liked him all that time? Yeah, he did and he didn't. Like, I ended up confessing to him over Emerson that I was in love with him, which I don't think I actually was. I think I was just, I had a Smitten. really big crush. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was very gracious about the whole experience. <laughs> <laughs> but he rejected me pretty hard. Um, I, he knew because I would send him love letters and stuff. I, I wrote him poems. I I used to follow him around at school. Like, I was kind of hard not to tell well into him so i mean based on what you said just now i get the feeling that as a primary and high school kid you weren't the most socially um apt <laughs> oh how do you how can you tell <laughs> um okay no. but, but really like yeah. in concrete terms uh, let's let's start in primary school i mean what kind of primary school kid were you did you have did you have lots of friends and <laughs> Uh, I was mis I was a miserable loner. Like I didn't have any friends. I I think I I suffered from terrible anxiety and I You're that young as well. Yeah, and like I used to shake and I used to get teased for shaking and kids didn't want to go near me. And what, so you just be in a conversation with someone and start shivering. Yeah, like I, I I um just it was part of an like a physical reaction to my anxiety. I would just start shaking and kids would just be like. What? And like now looking back, I can't blame them. Like, what are you meant to do in that situation when someone's just shaking like a little chihuahua in front of you? And when no one knows what anxiety is, because yeah. to be honest, I'm pretty sure I only found out what anxiety was after high school. So yeah, that's your yeah, primary exactly. school. I only realized what my problem was like later in life. My mom took me to doctors and she took me, she put me on special diets and stuff and no one knew. No one, no doctors one didn't me. know. Doctors didn't know. No, um, she took me to a psychologist and the psychologist was like, I don't know, um, but the thing is, my parents weren't rich. They couldn't take me to, like, a, a good, good one. one. Um, <laughs> so so they're taking you to just, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who they took me to, but it was probably some jun someone right out of uni who mm. had no idea what they were doing and what didn't specialise in children's psychology. And so it was probably hopeless from the start. Probably wasn't actually a psychologist. It was yeah. probably just someone, I mean, like, pre-Gumtree and Airtasker, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a psychologist. Sure. <laughs> Sure you are. Um, so where, where, suburb, what suburb did you grow up in? I grew up in southwest Sydney. I grew up in Leppington, which is... Never heard of it. <laughs> which is like, uh, like, right, like sandwiched between Liverpool, Livo um, and Camden. Um, so Liverpool being one of the most diverse uh, suburbs in Sydney and Camden being the widest. <laughs> and so Ooh. I was like right smack in the middle of that kind of weird... Um, pocket of Sydney um quite a quite a low socioeconomic area um when I was when I was reading trying to find some research about you online I found this thing where you said like everyone assumes that I grew up with lots of money when they see me but I actually grew up in a place that was made out of billboards was that true yeah, absolutely really yeah um the place uh my parents bought fifty thousand dollars um a property out in Leppington um, two doors down from a known murderer. Like it was just like this ramshackle, um, cobbled together hut that somebody had built with their bare hands. And um, 
it was made of billboards. And I distinctly remember my dad when I was when I was about nine, I think, uh, tearing down the walls with it, with gloved hands, like just pulling them down and just seeing VB billboards. You're kidding. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, and I hate VB now. And I'm wondering <laughs> if it's like psychological connection or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, I never thought I was poor. I never felt poor. But like, obviously. It's all relative when you're that yeah, age, especially. But obviously, like, you know, when you look back and you think about your life, like, uh, I've just realized that I did grow. Like, my parents made a lot of sacrifices and they worked really, really hard. Um, what did your parents do for dollars? Well, my dad is was an engineer um, for uh, Kimberly Clark, who make uh, toilet paper. Um, and my mum, my mum was a teacher, and then she had a horrible accident, and uh, she ended up um, too disabled to be able to work, unfortunately. Um, so was a was a teacher before that? I, um, yeah, she was a biology teacher. She taught ESL. Um, and yeah, she, she, and she was great and she was very passionate and everything. But now, like ever since then, she's had to kind of, uh, sit at home and it really, really sucks. It really when, sucked. When did that change? Would, were um, you that was, alive when that happened? Yeah. Um, she actually had two accidents. She had one before I was born and then she had another one. And the other one that put her out of work was when I was seven um, and that changed our entire family dynamic. It changed changed our financial situation. It changed everything. Um, and my dad went from potentially being able to make you know more money and work longer hours to having to cut back so that he could look after mum and us kids and stuff. And like everything changed. Um, so it was a big, big moment. I um, <clears throat> the song that I connect with that is. Um, Annie DeFranco's both hands because my mum used to play guitar and she used to sing to me uh, when I was when I was younger a lot younger and she was obsessed with like Annie DeFranco she was obsessed with any singer-songwriter like um who held a guitar and just sung um she loved Eric Clapton for example and Simon and Garfunkel and stuff like that and uh when she had her accident she couldn't do that anymore so yeah it's a little bit. <laughs> this is Annie DeFranco on Out of the Box. This song's called Both Hands. My guest today is Kara Schlegel. My name's Ash Bertabez. Here you go, it's Annie DeFranco. Flesh has been my pillow I've been waiting for sleep To offer up the deep with both hands
each other's shadow we grew less and less tall And eventually our theories couldn't explain it all And I'm recording our history now on the bedroom wall And when we leave the landlord will come and paint over it all And I'm walking out in the rain And I am listening to the low moan of the dial tone again And I am getting nowhere with you And I can't let it go And I can't get Please use both hands. Oh no, don't close your eyes. I am writing graffiti on your body. I am drawing the story of how hard we tried. How hard we tried. How hard we tried. Out of the box on FBI. Out of the box FBI 94.5 that is tool which is not something you hear every day on FBI for some reason it but... should be <laughs> and and this is this is brought in by my yesterday Karish legal who now is a comedy producer and a comedy writer and is on back chat to do things like news in brief and uh and an exclusive interview with so that kind of comedy side of things comedy that's current and newsworthy but back in the day you were in a Tool cover band. <laughs> you knew all the words of that song. I was watching yeah. you. So yeah, um, I grew up like a. As I said, I grew up in the southwest, uh, southwest Sydney, and all of my mates were into uh, this kind of music, uh, like that prog rock, heavy stuff, um, like Dream Theater, uh, Perfect Circle, <laughs> Tool, Nine Inch Nails, um, all of that stuff, and uh, I started dating a drummer in a band and then he he was like oh you should 
you should be in a band. You should start doing that as well. <laughs> Just be like me. Yeah. I'm in a band. That's yeah. how you do. Um, and I remember, like, we we did a couple of re- like it, we set out to be like do original things and like sing our own like stuff, but um, we just ended up every rehearsal just doing tool covers, and then we just ended up that's what we we became. <laughs> writing music's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, but it's it was also like just this was all of the bands around that time. This was in um, like 2004, 2005, 2006. So it would have been right after you got out of high school. So what, what, yeah. what were you doing with the rest of your time? Uh, I was I, <laughs> I was getting high and I worked as a chef. <laughs> How far you've come. Oh, but yeah. Not saying there's anything wrong with being a chef, but honestly it's one of the most terrifying career prospects I could ever imagine myself into. Uh, how did you? How did you like it? Um... Oh, I love cooking. Cooking is one of my biggest passions in the entire world, but uh, the environment of being in a kitchen was hyper-masculine. Um, I was the only girl in the kitchen, um, and it was like a three-chef hat restaurant, which is kind of like a five-star kind of thing. Like, it was a so big really deal. Fancy. A big yeah. deal. It was in the North Shore. I had to travel like an hour and a half to get there every day. Um and, uh, and I'm assuming for, for terrible hours usually. Yeah, like there were 10, 12-hour shifts. Like it was ridiculous. Um, and the the kitchen itself was just full of sexist pricks. Like, So what kind of things did you go through working in a kitchen like that? Well, they were just it was just so insidious. Like, um, like, for example, one of the things that people would call out, like if you had something hot and you're walking behind somebody, you would call out hot behind. And like it was fairly like innocent for the most part, but then some guys would be like hot behind and like behind me. And um, my boss, uh, he used to slap me on the, the ass sometimes. What? Um, I know. It was ridiculous. What um, did you do? I mean, like, what can't I was can I do? was 18. I didn't know what to do, you mm. know? Like, eventually I quit. But um, for a while, I was just kind of stuck in this hideous environment because I thought, oh, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. And I was I was quite good at it. And then... You know, it just became too much. It just became way too much. <laughs> and now you're doing something completely different. Actually, yes. one of the projects you have underway right now is you run Wolf Comedy, which yeah. is, I mean, I guess you know more about it than I do. Please introduce. Um, oh, Wolf Comedy is a room in Sydney at Knox Street Bar. We play the last Thursday of every month. Uh, we basically encourage uh, diversity in comedy. So we try to get up more female performers. We try to get up people from diverse backgrounds, people with diverse opinions. Um, New perspectives rather yeah. than a similar perspective coming yeah, from the stage exactly. every time, which I, I, I think you get a lot in Sydney. Yes. Um, you get a lot of straight white men. That's what you get in Sydney comedy scene. Um, but it's changing. It's absolutely definitely changing. You've got people like Jen Fricker, Becky Lucas, like um, Susie Youssef, like people who are just absolutely spectacular who are doing who are just killing it at the moment um and bringing something different to the stage yeah yeah and so we get people up like that we've had all three of those those women headline at our at our room and we're so proud we're one of the only rooms that has ever like even had female headliners you know usually it's some guy had some white guy headlining and then a token somebody underneath you know yeah, why do you think that is? Why do you think that we're still stuck in that in Sydney? Uh, because the the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like I just think that people's attitudes. I mean, I remember when we first started Wolf Comedy, and we were talking about it, and we were like, "Oh, it's not that bad." Like, I mean, there's a lot of support for women in already, and we, we were wondering whether, like, this room would even garner any attention or be at all or be kind of a bit be redundant yeah yeah um, you don't want to be like oh we're making a point and it's kind of like eh, everyone else uh, yeah. need to make a point they just do it you yeah know? yeah, yeah, yeah a, exactly a feeling of awkwardness about exactly that. and then we had our first night and we had uh oh geez i can't remember who headlined our first show um we had some a, a woman headline our first show and uh one of my friends daniel was like, yeah, I'm really excited to come to your night. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Uh, I can't wait to see you there. And he's like, yeah, I'm really excited to see if women are funny. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, excuse, excuse me? 
are women funny? Like my favorite comedians, I don't even like think about it, but but I I you know, when we were putting this room together, I was thinking of all of my favorite comedians in Sydney and in Australia and in general, and almost all of them are female. Like and that's not me being horribly sexist against men. It's just that I think there are a a ton of women out there who yeah. are just extraordinary. I think you know, there's research that has um, been done, like pretty extensive research, as in there's this guy, I think his name's uh, Robert, Robert Provine, and he's like a behavioural neurobiologist, and he's documented like 12,000 or 1,200 different incidences of laughing in the wild, aka in shopping malls or like in classrooms and stuff like that. And that he found that women laugh more than men, and Mm. both men and women laugh less at men, and both men and women laugh more at men. And we can joke. We we have the ability to joke from the time we're six years old. And it starts there. Like, it's yeah. just people don't respond to women, um, women's humour the same way that they respond to, like, a, the same thing coming from a man. Yeah, well, what you find is a lot of a lot of female com- comedians try to masculinize themselves to fit into that culture. Mm. And like uh, Zoe Coombs Ma, one of my favorite favorite stand-ups in Australia. Actually, I want to have her on the show. Yeah, if you ever if you ever get a chance, get her in. Um, she she did Dave, which is a show where she performs as a white straight man, um, in like the most cliched and hideous ways you can possibly imagine. Um, <laughs> Uh, like she throws candy at the audience and she tells sexist, dumb jokes. And it's one of the funniest, funniest satires I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but she is now going back into doing normal stand-up. Um, and she's, she's, you know, she told me that she, you know, felt strange about it because she hasn't performed as a woman in a long time. And it's so different. It's so challenging to like present yourself as a woman on stage and be accepted yeah. in the it's general to, scene. Yeah. It's normal to be a man on a stage, but to be a woman on a stage, you're a woman on a stage. It's like, there's a person on a stage. You assume it's a man. There's a woman on a stage. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't, you don't and assume that it's going to be. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that's normal. what we're trying to, that's what we're trying to change. We're trying to change that attitude. Well, let's take a song that is loosely related to that. Who knows? Uh, it's called Loser. <laughs> and yeah. that's not why it's related. So Garfunkel and Oates, what's this song about for you? Um, well, Garfunkel and Oates are a duet from America. They're the fe- two, two female comedians who struggled throughout their career to get recognised um, and are now just starting to really uh, hit the scene really hard. Um, but they're two of my favourite comedy performers. They're hilarious and the song is about trying really hard um, and not being afraid of failing, uh, which I relate to quite quite a lot. Karish <laughs> <laughs> Legal on Out of the Box today. My name's Dash Bertabez. Here you go. It's Garfunkel and Oates. You didn't do it, didn't reach your goal. Your heart is broken, you're an asshole In the end you didn't have what it takes So here's to you and your huge mistakes You're humiliated, hollowed out, and exhausted You were in the ring fighting the fight and you lost it This isn't your time, this wasn't for you At least you did everything you could do You're a loser but a dreamer You're tired but you're strong You're going on no evidence You don't listen to common sense You went all in and you were wrong You are such a loser, good for you It's something that a lot of people can't do Trying is hard, that's why people don't do it Losing is hard, they can't make it through it But not you You are such a loser You are such a loser Here's to you Cause you deserve A cheering section too Throw your heart at it, so what if you break it? You know now that you're strong enough to take it Don't let it break you, don't let them break you Fake it, keep going till you have a breakthrough Icarus is bullshit, that's why it's called mythology People can't stand genius without an apology Forget that, forget them, go get what you wanna get Let them stay home and comment on the internet You're a loser but a dreamer You're tired but you're strong You're going on no evidence You don't listen to common sense You went all in And you were wrong You are such a loser, good for you It's something that a lot of people can't do Trying is hard, that's why people don't do it Losing is hard, they can't make it through it But not you You are such a loser You are such a loser 
Here's to you, cause you deserve a cheering section too. You can only fall that far, cause you set yourself up so high. from the side who thinks he's doing better cause he wasn't defeated when he's just a non-entity who never competed you're the one who's out there reaching for something greater and you know it's better to be a loser than a spectator and you are such a loser you are such a loser so here's to you That is strangely one of the most uplifting songs I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful, beautiful song. It always makes me feel better when I listen to it. It it it's okay to lose, you know, that idea. And yeah. I've been a loser, I think, for most of my life. So <laughs> oh um like but in a good way, as as the song says, like in a I try. Way. Yeah. I try really hard. I have always been a try hard. Um <laughs> And I'm I'm quite proud of it. I've become yeah. quite proud of that. And you'd rather be the person losing than the one watching from the side being like, yeah. glad I'm not a loser, but it's kind of like, you're a non-entity. Yeah. You're not even in this story. And I feel like that relates to, like, not just my career, but also my love life and everything. Like, I always put myself, I put my whole heart into things. I And then, you know, often fail. But... It makes you an interesting person, let's be frank. I mean, <laughs> have you met many people who've never failed in their life and you've just been like, good on you, yeah. you're super interesting, let's sit down and do a show with you? I don't I don't really actually think I have many people on this show who don't go through some sort of period of struggle or failure in their life. Yeah. Usually, not because I'm hunting for that, but because those people end up actually being interesting and by failing and by being able to go through strife, they end up having a, a stronger character and then yeah. reaching for things that they otherwise wouldn't have reached for because they know how to fail yes, and they know they can yes, do it again. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, we have time for one last song. But first, if people want to see you sometime soon uh, performing or, or doing a reading, where can they see you? Um, I'm going to be at Giant Dwarfs Ghost Stories for their Christmas show. Uh Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, which I think is on uh, the 14th of December. Don't quote me on that. Uh, go to uh, the Giant Dwarf website and you can find it there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now our last song is by The Mountain Goats. Did you want to tell the story behind this song for you? Um, this is a song that I listen to at the end of every single year. Um, it's called This Year um, and it's pretty much about... Uh, embracing um, ch- embracing the notion that things will get better as like time goes by like like that that maybe this year was a piece of shit but next year oh man I'm gonna you're gonna grab life by the balls and you're just gonna run <laughs> like it <laughs> sounds painful it's one of those things um I yeah I'm, I'm oh, I love it I it warms my heart every time I hear it. It makes me want to get up and dance. So fantastic stuff. Cara, thank you so much for coming thank on Out of the Box for today. Me. And if you want to listen back to this show, you can always subscribe to the Out of the Box podcast. We usually try to get them up within a few hours of the show. Sometimes it takes us about a week, but subscribe and it'll pop into your podcasting app, whichever one you choose to listen to. Here it is. It is the Mountain Goats with this year. Thanks so much, Cara. <laughs>
If it kills me 